0: are listening to a podcast from Heart. Welcome to this Heart podcast. Uh, my name is Michael Marber. I am an academic cardiologist uh, based at King's College London, and my companion for the interview uh, is Michelle Aviz, who is a cardiologist based in the University of Lyon, and is one of the pioneers in clinical proof of concept studies. To demonstrate the phenomenon of reperfusion injury in the human heart, and that 's really going to be the main topic of our interview today. so Michelle, reperfusion injury has been around for a very, very long time. in principle it 's a very, very simple concept, but I still get the impression that many people find it difficult to understand, and because it 's been around for such a long time, there 's a little bit of um, weariness and fatigue. Uh, regarding the interest so what is it that has changed in the last five or six years that has re-stimulated interest
1: it's been around for many many years i would say uh, 20 to 30 years even now and at least in experimental models we have had the demonstration that it uh, exists uh, really and uh, it came out uh, to the clinical world i would say yeah uh, five years ago approximately when uh, we were able with others to show that any intervention uh, that can be uh, completed after reopening of the artery, the coronary artery, uh, can protect the heart and in in details can reduce infarct size. And you're right, it's, uh, it's not still in the mind of cardiologists and PCI cardiologists simply because they have been so focused on the reperfusion as quick as possible on the coronary artery of patients that this is a new concept, not that new, but new for clinicians and for clinical practice. And it takes time. It takes time to have your mind ready to do new things and new intervention and to, to help patients recover. So
0: there is a, a component of infarction, ultimate infarct size, that isn't just due to the duration of ischemia, but is due to added injury at the moment of reperfusion. And yeah. that's what the proof of concept studies have shown. What was also shown um, and discussed this morning was the very, very tight relationship between the duration of chest pain symptoms and ultimate infarct size that was seen originally in the randomized controlled trials of thrombolysis. It came across very, very clearly this morning using MRI, late gadolinium, gadolinium enhancement for infarct size analysis, and T2 edema imaging, where, again, duration of symptoms show that the late gadolinium enhancement, the infarct component, Mm -hmm. as duration of symptoms increases, approaches the area at risk, the edema component, Mm -hmm. and there's no benefit. So with very short duration symptoms, there's very little injury to salvage. With very late presentation and symptoms of a long duration, the infarct size is equal to the area at risk also, you could argue all the death has occurred during ischemia mm-hmm. and there's very little added reperfusion injury. So do you think there's a sweet spot? There is a, an intermediate level of infarction where you can get the maximum component of reperfusion injury.
1: That's a very good and difficult question to answer. Thank you very much. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, There is no doubt that there is a a, a close correlation between the duration of ischemia and and the final infarct size. The question that is beyond your question or comment is that is there such a good correlation between reperfusion injury damage and the duration of ischemia? That is, in fact, it is still true that the shorter the duration of ischemia, the, the less the damage and the longer the duration of ischemia and the larger the damage but we have no evidence that the amount and the severity of reperfusion injuries is that well proportional to the duration of the previous ischemia. In other words, in and, and clinical practice, it is quite possible that even patients with long duration of ischemia, those that arrive at the hospital 10 hours after the onset of symptoms, for example, it is quite possible that these patients may well benefit from any intervention against reperfusion injury. It's not because they have had 10 hours of ischemia; then there's nothing left to salvage. In fact, maybe they tolerated more than anybody else this ischemia insult, and there, there is still something to salvage.
0: So I now understand why all the emphasis in your presentation was mainly on the size of the area at risk, mm-hmm. because that seems to be the Major. the uh, the index of the greatest. Potential benefit mm-hmm. that has come through in a number mm-hmm. of trials, and is something that you can sort of get an idea from just by looking at the um, magnitude of the ST elevation yeah. summation. So, yeah, uh,
1: area at risk is definitely the strongest, I would say, predictor of ischemia plus reperfusion injury. And uh, but the, as as I said before, maybe the tolerance of a given patient to ischemia damage. And and the relation between the duration of ischemia and the the final damage is also dependent on, for example, comorbidities and age, diabetes, uh, hyperlipidemia, hypertension, etc. So um, there may be well important differences among patients that may explain uh, good responders or poor responders to any intervention against reperfusion injuries.
0: So if you were to try and predict the evolution of these interventions, so you have been obviously intimately involved in um, proof of concept studies looking at post-conditioning, mm-hmm. repetitive uh, periods of ischemia at the moment of reperfusion and uh, in use of cyclosporine um, as a pharmacological pharmacological adjunct at reperfusion to reduce injury. And those uh, studies have used quite surrogate endpoints Mm -hmm. to show an advantage. And as we heard this morning, we're now moving into a number of quite large phase three clinical Mm -hmm. trials. And I was wondering uh, if you could summarize the current landscape of the phase three interventions that are being tested and your prediction of what the future may hold.
1: So we now know that we, as you said, we have to move to phase three trials because the clinicians want to have evidence that there is a clinical benefit to this uh, so-called protective intervention against reperfusion injury. We know that we have uh, at least three large trials ongoing. Um, there is one in uh, the UK called the, the ERICA trial in which, um, conditioning of the heart is, uh, performed by cuff inflation on the home during the ischemic period in in order to uh, limit, attenuate, reperfusion injury. There is one trial in in Denmark, I believe, that is also looking at uh, PCI, post-conditioning, to see whether this uh, um, brief uh, occlusion and reperfusion by the, the, the angioplasty balloon may improve clinical outcome. And on our side, in France and soon in Belgium and Spain, we started uh, last year a trial looking at the effect of cyclosporine on clinical uh, outcome. So, we, as you know, it takes time, and uh, maybe in two or three years from now, we'll have the answer on that. Sometimes. We have uh, we started in April last year, and we have about uh, 350 patients. And the target and number? The, the target is um, been close to 1,000. So,
0: so the other thing that came across, which was intre- I found interesting this morning, was that um, the departure from the uh, traditional mace mm-hmm. that we're all very used to in trials of antiplatelet agents or antithrombotics, mm-hmm. because this is, a, I mean, the idea here is that this you're only treating uh, the myocardium and the distal coronary mm-hmm. segment uh, beyond a stenosis with, say, post-conditioning. Uh, with cyclosporin, perhaps uh, the whole body is exposed, but we still think it's predominantly a myocardial effect. Mm-hmm. So that the revascularization endpoint, which often is a major driver for power, just adds noise to these trials. So I was wondering if you could talk about, since um, these are event-driven, what, uh, what sort of endpoints are we looking at?
1: Yeah, that, that's a very important issue because we are all, as cardiologists, used to use the MACE endpoints. And um, simply because we have, along the last years, done this, uh, I would say, uh, uh, coronary vessel trials. That is, we aimed at reperfusing as quick as possible to have uh, good stenting and uh, uh, poor stenosis or no uh thrombosis and of course, in this condition, we looked at uh, coronary vascularization, uh, reinfarction, etc. But these are, at say, uh, coronary vessel related endpoints. Whereas post conditioning or post conditioning like intervention aim at reducing myocardial muscle damage. And so, if you uh, include in your endpoint any coronary vessel event, it doesn't mean anything that, no. that, will, uh, that will dilute the data, uh, drop the statistical power of your study, because there is no reason why post-conditioning or cyclosprain may affect revascularization or re or, or whatever uh, coronary event.
0: But how do you collect? I mean, it's just how do you get the number of endpoints without including revascularization? Is that substituted with a more meaningful endpoint, cardiogenic shock, for example? <clears throat> that you may believe that.
1: I mean, the, the infarct size and the the, the myocardial damage related endpoints are are infarct size per se, LV remodeling, uh, hospitalization for heart failure, mortality. So you have to cope with that. So they're, they're uh, so you pump, can combine pump. you can combine all these endpoints and try to have a sufficient power, power, which is difficult.
0: And um, to go back to my earlier question about your prediction of the future Mm -hmm. landscape. Um, So, you know, there is a lot going on at the moment of a primary PCI. Mm -hmm. What do you feel will come through?
1: I think it's big hope. Uh, This post-conditioning and and reperfusion injury uh, uh, target is very, very important. I would say that... uh, we have made a lot of uh, progress for the last two decades on coronary endpoints, and now we know that we have a lot to save and to salvage in in the muscle. So it's a it's a huge opportunity for PCI cardiologists, and for patients, of course, to 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 have new interventions and many uh, uh, candidates drug to test to prevent a reperfusion injury and to uh, further improve alveol modeling and, uh, and uh, heart failure,
0: for example. But over the years, there have, I mean, the this area of cardiac protection by intervention at reperfusion, mm-hmm. although in the past you could argue the scientific basis wasn't that mm-hmm. sound, there have been large phase three clinical trials
1: yeah. of t- targeting
0: different pathways, which uh, have not, I mean, some have had a very mild suggestion of benefit, but by and large, the effects have been neutral and nothing has come mm. through that clinical filter.
1: This is true, and this uh, sort of deserve the the cardioprotection uh, area and the idea that we can uh, still... Uh, fight reperfusion injury, but in fact, when we look back uh, and from what we know now from the pathophysiology of uh, of uh, acute myocardial infarction and reperfusion injury that we didn't know at that time, so we I think we better know how to design trial in order to be able to show uh, that any intervention has an effect or not. Whereas uh, 10 years from now, in the past, we couldn't do that because we couldn't, we we hadn't really defined reperfusion injury, we didn't exactly know how to design trials, whilst now we know that we have a time window, very short, we know that we must measure area at risk by uh, good techniques, that we have to exclude patients with coronary collaterals, that we should inject the drug sufficiently early before reperfusion, et cetera, et cetera. So we have improved the design of the trials. So
0: a greater understanding of the basic science, better Mm. surrogate endpoints Mm. in the proof-of-concept studies have, you think, provided the filter to de-risk these uh large phase three clinical trials so the the likelihood of success is greater but definitely not guaranteed no it's not guaranteed
1: of course but uh, i think we have more chance now to to see a benefit if there is a a, efficient drug than 10 years ago and uh, i would also add that uh, uh, although we are at a at the time where we transfer to the patients all that, we still need to have strong basic science studies because we need to have more, uh, uh, more candidates, pharmacological targets. We need to define signaling pathway to better understand the pathophysiology of all that. We need to understand the role of confounders and uh, we need to have new drugs. It's a win-win situation and basic science and clinical science have to go together.
0: Well, let's hope um, we have an identical session to the session this morning in uh, three years' time, and you come back and update us. Hopefully. Thank you. For more information about this program and other BMJ Group
1: podcasts, please visit bmj.com.